All right, well, good morning, Watermark, everybody in the room, everybody online. My name is David Marvin. Like Graham said, I, I serve and direct the ministry called The Porch Tuesday nights with young adults who are clearly here. We are continuing this series, Never Be the Same, looking at life-changing encounters with Jesus. And so I'm going to read the passage that we're going to be in, in Matthew chapter 8. We're going to look at another life-changing encounter with someone who bumped into Jesus and would never be the same. Matthew chapter 8, verse 1. If you don't have a Bible, it'll be up on the screens. If you do, you can flip over to Matthew chapter 8, verse 1. It says, when he, Jesus, came down the mountain, great crowds followed him. And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, which would have been illegal. As we're going to unpack, leprosy was a disease that anyone who had it was to remain at a distance, separated, to not be kneeling or in front of anyone. And he said to Jesus, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and he touched him, saying, I will be clean. Immediately the leprosy was cleansed and Jesus said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go and show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. Today, as we unpack, it's uh, known as the story of Jesus healing the leper. And um, let me invite in some recent events in my own life that'll give us some direction for where uh, we're gonna go. Uh, Two weeks ago, I was actually teaching on this stage on Sunday and the week before that, I had uh, another travel engagement or was speaking somewhere else. And during that week, I got hit with some sinus infection that was just one of those moments where you're, you're just horrible and you feel terrible. And, um, and for like three days, I had a fever, aches, headaches, just was trying anything and everything. And yes, I know there's a pandemic. I got COVID tested. It was not COVID. And, um, and so ruled that out. And if you're thinking that doesn't mean anything, you could still have a negative test then why are we even getting tested, okay? Sidebar aside, so I was searching just for relief the whole week saying, uh, you know, and I don't really love taking medicine. I don't even love taking like more than one Advil, but it was just a moment where I was teaching and speaking and just felt terrible. So I was like going through the Rolodex of, of tons of different things, trying to figure out something to find relief. None of it was working. I mean, like two types of Mucinex DMs, just in case I'm missing something here, rotating the Advil and the Tylenol, going through and doing Zycam because somebody told me zinc fights and makes fevers go away. Tried airborne, even though I think this has actually been like debunked that it doesn't work, but I was desperate. I was going through anything and everything trying to figure out, you know, I wasn't even sure what this one was, but some sort of nasal decongestant, Dayquil, Nyquil, to the point where finally I got so desperate. Three days in at three in the morning, I went down, raided our medicine cabinet and took a three-year-old expired amoxicillin hoping, (laughs) Lord, please, Please let me feel better. And so if I pass out or start growing a third arm up here, you will know why. But I was just so desperate trying to find some sort of relief. And finally, a friend of mine, Eric, who I work with on staff, was like, you, just, you need to call a doctor. You need to go see the doctor. You need to get a Z-Pack or get an antibiotic and a steroid. You'll feel better. And so didn't follow that advice. But the, eventually, out of such desperation, I was like, I think I need a Z-Pack or I think I need an antibiotic. And within 24 hours, fever had broke, began to feel better. What does it have to do with today? 
Well, in a very similar way of being in a place where you have something you're sick with and you're searching and searching and there just isn't a solution and then you find it. This man has spent his life or spent years ever since he contracted the sickness of leprosy and eventually had run out of any option until one day a man named Jesus of Nazareth shows up and he hears that this Man is potentially not just any man, but he's healing people and restoring sight to the blind. And he could raise people from the dead and he could even heal a leper. And he goes and he throws himself at Jesus' feet. He says, Lord, if you're willing, you can give me my life back. You can heal me. And Jesus does it. It's beautiful. It's powerful. It's, It's an incredible story. But I I think it's so much more than just a story about this man. I think it's our story. It's it's the Christian story. It's the story of any person who's ever been a Christian. So let me explain what I want to do for the next 30 minutes is, um, one, I'm going to give a 30-minute message. That's my gift to all the fathers out there who are thankful for that. Happy Father's Day. Now you know how long it's going to be, and it's going to be even shorter. And I wanted to accomplish or try to accomplish two things. One... I want to speak to anyone who's not a Christian. And I want to tell you, if you ever decide to become a Christian, what that looks like. Because there's a lot of misunderstanding around what even it means to be a follower of Christ. And then I want to speak to anyone who is a Christian because the same way you become a Christian, as we're going to see, is also how we live the Christian life out. And I want to walk through the parallels between this story and even how Jesus interacts with this man and what He's done on our behalf and for us in a very similar way. So I'm going to walk through three different components from this story that you could say make up the equation for how someone can never be the same. They are, in essence, the formula for how to become a Christian and how to live the Christian life and how a person is changed. So I'm going to start again in verse 1 and unpack a little bit of leprosy. It says, like I already read, Jesus came down from the mountain he just finished teaching the Sermon on the Mount. We'll come back to that in a second. But, you know, without question, maybe the greatest sermon in human history comes down the mountain, huge crowd that's all around him, and a leper throws himself in Jesus' feet. Anyone in that audience, if you're sitting around, you see a leper come, immediately is repelled and moving back and gasped. It's a leper. Why? Well, a leper was someone who had contracted a horrific disease. The disease of leprosy is really, you know, when we read the Bible, it's kind of one of those things that was in the past and we don't really interact with leprosy. But a far greater stigma would have been associated with leprosy than any COVID uh, virus or anything like we have candidly known today. It was a disease that the moment you woke up and you saw spots which would begin to appear in your skin, you knew life, if I have leprosy, life as I know it is now life as I knew it. Because... It was not just a disease that was incredibly painful and physically, it would attack you from the inside out. One of the ways leprosy works is it starts on the inside, it attacks your central nervous system, your ability to feel things. Eventually, as it progresses, you get to the point where you can't feel things, which is in addition to all the different scabs and things that are on your skin, why oftentimes lepers would have fingers or toes or appendages that would fall off because they would cut them and they wouldn't feel the pain that was there. They would have, you could stick your hand in the fire and you wouldn't feel that your hand is being burned away. It was horrible. Eventually, all your hair and 
Your face would be disheveled, covered in scabs. It's not just incredibly painful physically, it also had deep emotional and psychological pain because there was a societal implication that if you got leprosy, God commanded in Leviticus chapter 13 and 14, some uh, very specific commands as it related to you would be quarantined from the rest of society. You would wake up and if you had it, that would be the last time you hugged your kids, the last time that you kissed your wife, the last time that you worked at your job. Everything would change. Like I said, in Leviticus chapter 14 and 13, which is a real fun read, by the way, if you want to go look into how to approach leprosy later today, it says this, uh, the leprous person, verse 45 of Leviticus 13, who has the disease shall wear torn clothes, let their hair hang loose. He shall cover his upper lip and everywhere he goes, yell out, unclean, unclean, like stay back, stay back. He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He's unclean. He shall live alone outside of the camp or in Jesus' day, outside of the city. Rabbinical teaching was that a person with the leprous disease had to remain at a distance of 16 feet if there was no wind and up to 100 feet distance from any other person if there was one. Even think of how you would have to adjust your life of constantly going like, is it windy? Can I move towards somebody? Throw the grass up in the air? Is there enough wind here? Because that would determine whether or not I could get within 16 feet of my kids or I'd have to stay 100 feet from those who I loved. Your ability to buy food and just was all transformed. Your daily life. There was no Amazon Prime to deliver and just leave it on the front door. It was anybody that wanted to buy food or do anything had to leave it on the ground, walk away. Everything changed. And this man was confronted with the reality there was no cure until he bumped into the one who could cure anybody and anything, Jesus. How does that parallel or what does that have to do with our story? In a very similar way, biblically, leprosy is often synonymous with sin. There's an infection that every person who's ever lived, every person in this room has. And it's not the disease of leprosy, it's the disease of of sin that has infected us. The first idea I want to talk about is the curse of sin that infects us. Because there are striking parallels when you look. And even in the Old Testament, leprosy would have been synonymous with what sin does to a person. Why do I say that? Because inside of leprosy, lepers would be killed or would be infected from the inside out. In other words, by the time anything showed up on their skin, it was already at work and the disease was flowing through their body. In the same way, this is exactly how sin works. You, you may be you know, new to church, the first time in church. You may not even say, I don't know if I fully even believe it, but here's what I know that you know about yourself. What the Bible says is called a sin nature is at work in all of us. And you can see the symptoms of it pop up. The symptoms of that sickness, whether or not you'd even call it that or have ever thought of it that way, what do I mean the symptoms of it? Why does it come naturally to do things that the Bible would call as sin? Like, why, why is it so easy for me to be prone to be entitled, to be selfish, to be angry, to be insecure, to be all these different things that just kind of, they literally flow. I don't have to work at them. They just come naturally. You know, I've been doing this a, a long time, 12 years, and I've never heard the person come up and say, you know what I'm really working on this year? I'm trying to be more angry. It just doesn't come naturally to me, and I just, I'm working on my bitterness. I've never heard the person come up and say, you know, I'm just such a generous person. I'm working on greed this year. No, you haven't either. 
Because all of it just comes naturally. Why? Well, the Bible would say because you have an infection that's inside, coursing through your heart, your life, yourself. It's a sickness. And those are symptoms of that sickness. It's a sickness called sin, the curse of sin that infects us. Another way that leprosy is synonymous or parallels with sin is leprosy was something that would isolate you from God and from people. In other words, anyone who had leprosy could not go to church or go to temple. They were cut off, if you will, from God and their ability to worship him. In the same way, sin is the thing that has cut us off and will cut anybody off eternally from having a relationship with God if they don't trust in Jesus Christ. And it also is the thing that even if you have trusted Christ, sin in its presence is the thing that makes you feel like, man, I just feel like a distance from God. Like if, you, if you've been running or maybe there's something you're, you're hiding, you've never shared with anybody, and there's something you know if you are honest with yourself, you go to pray and you feel like, I don't even know if God's listening. You're flooded with shame and guilt. Because like leprosy, sin cuts us off in a way from God, both eternally and relationally in this life. It also cuts us off from relationships with other people. Leprosy is one of those things. That, hey, you were, uh, social distancing has been around for a much longer time than 2020, and anyone who had leprosy had to be socially distanced and quarantined outside of any relationships. Isn't it funny? Sin does the exact same thing. It comes in and it begins to break down. It divides just by essence. When it's allowed to run loose, it destroys relationships. Every marriage that's ever fallen apart was the direct result of sin. Candidly, the reason why so many people, when they think of Father's Day, it's painful, is because sin did did what it does. It came in and it severed your relationship with your father. Maybe his sin severed that relationship, because that's just what it does, just like leprosy. It erodes relationship. It cuts us off from each other and from God. The other way that it parallels is it numbs you to its effects the more it progresses. In other words, the more that leprosy kind of takes its toll, the less and less you can feel. Fingers, toes, hands become numb. Isn't it funny that also this happens as it relates to sin? Like the more you do it, the more easily we're able to give into it. The first time you looked at pornography, you could, it was such a huge deal. The first time you, know, you slept with someone, it was, I can't believe that I just gave away my virginity. And then easily, it just becomes something that I do. Just a part of your life. You become numb to it. Because like leprosy, it's how sin works. Over and over, the parallels. I mean, we didn't even have time to look at all of them. But one last one is leprosy would distort your appearance. It would make someone, however attractive they were, unattractive or more unattractive because it just would deform things. Isn't it funny? Sin does the exact same thing to us. And you may not think of it exactly that way because it doesn't physically necessarily change or there's not spots that show up. But the characteristics of somebody, the more that they are the characteristics of sin, the more unattractive they are just by nature to us. There's something about it that it's kind of repelling. In other words, um, working with single young adults, uh, oftentimes they're in that stage where they are looking for that person. And when it comes to the list of the person that they want to you know, spend the rest of the rest with, they're, they're forever, 
they have a list. Whether or not they have ever articulated, they've got something in their head that they're hoping in dreams that this is what they're going to be like. On that list, I've never heard somebody say, you know who I'm really looking for? You know what I'm most attracted to? A guy with an anger problem. Or a girl say, you know, I'm just looking for somebody who has no ability to handle his gambling addiction. Or a guy say, you know what, I'm looking for a girl that will just blow through our savings account. She's so materialistic. She's selfish. All she thinks about is herself. No, because those attractive or those are unattractive qualities. This is sin by definition. When it takes over, there's a way in which it just makes us increasingly unattractive like leprosy. And this man had realized, I have a problem I can't handle and I can't get over and I can't fix myself. I've got something that the solution is not gonna come from within me. He's really doing what, if you uh, have been around here a while, we have a ministry called Regeneration. And Regeneration is a 12-month discipleship program. It's amazing. It meets on Monday nights, led by John Elmore and an incredible team. Could not more highly recommend it. Deeply impacted my life. But Regen has a slogan, and the slogan is the tagline of this series. It's never be the same. And inside of that ministry, 12-month-long 12, uh, 12 ministry, they take you through these 12 different steps. And the whole goal is, hey, these are the 12 steps that Christians do and we do and for the rest of our life. And anyone who wants to be never, never be the same does these 12 steps. The very first step is recognizing the curse that infects us, is sin. That we are unable to deal with this infection that it's present and I can't fix what I'm unwilling to face. So I got to acknowledge I have a sickness that is within me. The first step is this. Step one, admit. In other words, if you walk through the 12 steps of region, this would be the first one you'd walk through. We admit we are powerless over our sin. That in our own power, our lives are unmanageable. What this leper is saying to Jesus, Jesus, hey, we, I have a problem and I can't fix it. It's the same thing that anybody who becomes a Christian, the first step that they take is, God, I have a problem. I am a sinner. I am unworthy of having a relationship with you. There is sin that has infected me, and I, on my own, will never be good enough to earn anything that would merit a relationship with you. I recognize I am broken by a curse that infects us called sin. But he also gives us a second step that is a component of anybody who is a Christian and a part of the Christian life. I'm going to read it again. He came before him and he knelt and he said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. In this moment, I mentioned the emotional significance of what just happened in that story. It'd almost be hard for us to imagine or put into words, but I'm going to attempt to because here's what happened. That man, by law, had to remain at a distance of 16 feet from everyone at a minimum. In other words, to break the law meant that he risked by throwing himself in front of a crowd of people, himself being killed or being stoned to death for breaking the law and doing what was unlawful for a leper to come and do. He was to remain, this is about 16 feet away from the podium. In other words, the closest he was able to get to Jesus or should have been able to get to Jesus or should have been around any person would have been right here if there's no wind, farther back if there isn't. And he was to yell out, unclean, unclean. But this man realizes something that every Christian in a spiritual sense realizes that leads them to become a Christian. This man realized, I've got no other option. 
sure, if I go over there, I'm risking, I could lose my life, but as it is, I'm a dead man walking already. I've lost everything. And if there's a man that there's even a chance that he could give my life back, and he began to walk and he moved towards this man he hadn't met before, but he'd heard he, there's a chance he could heal me. And he walks over and he throws himself at the feet of the Son of God. He says, God, if you're willing, you can heal me. You can take away. You can t- heal the leper spots. What he does is what every person who becomes a Christian does. He came to the end of himself. I'm out of options. And that's led me to know I, I can't fix myself. And if there's a chance you can, I am throwing myself at your feet at the risk of being stoned. And you know that audience, in that moment, <gasps> they're backing away 16 feet. It's a leper. If they were to get infected, they would have their entire life changed. They don't know the story is going to end with Jesus stretching out and healing. Rabbis instructed people, if there's a leper anywhere near, you move around or you move away. And he throws himself at Jesus' feet, recognizing the same solution that anyone who becomes a Christian recognizes. Christ alone can cure us. This first step is that, hey, there's a infection, a curse that infects us called sin. And there's only one who can heal us. The second idea from the text that we see in this man's example is that Christ alone is recognizing. Christ alone can cure us. It is no accident when this sermon happens. It's brilliant. It's amazing. What do I mean? This story takes place in Matthew chapter 8, verse 1. What happened right before Matthew chapter 8? Well, as I alluded to earlier, something called the Sermon on the Mount. Sermon on the Mount takes place in Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 6, Matthew chapter 7. Jesus' first sermon Longest sermon we have in there. It's incredible. It's powerful. It's changed culture, civilization. It's influenced you, even if you've never read it before. Why do I say that? Things like the golden rule. Maybe you grew up in elementary school like I did, where it was on the wall. Do unto others as you would have them do unto yourself. Sermons filled with incredible teaching and powerful truths. As Jesus sat on that mountain, we're told in Matthew chapter 5, verse 1, he goes up a mountain and then he sat down. Seeing the crowds, he went up a mountain, he sat down, verse 1 of chapter 5 in Matthew, and he opened his mouth and taught them. And while what he taught was incredible, it was powerful, it was beautiful, it was life-changing, the Sermon on the Mount is also haunting. It's, if I may, it's a little bit demoralizing or depressing, if you will. Like, why, why do I say that? Stay with me. Because in it, it's intended to be. Like Jesus comes through, he teaches like nobody's ever taught before. And when he covers things, he basically raises the bar everywhere. He's like, you've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. I tell you, if you've ever lusted after someone, you're an adulterer. All right, God bless, good to see you. You, I tell you, you've heard, you shall not murder anybody. I tell you, you harbor anger in your heart, you're a murderer. I mean, left and right, it's like boom, boom, boom. And if that wasn't bad enough, in a zenith moment of the sermon, he says this. You must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Think about that sentence. Think if you came in today and that was all I gave you. 
All right, good morning, church. All right, you must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. See you next week. All right. You'd be like, what? So I looked up the original Greek just to unpack, like, what is, what's the original Greek word for perfect? And here's what it means. Perfect. <laughs> Jesus, what, what are you saying? It must be perfect. Like, if that's the standard, nobody can reach it. Bingo. It's the point. It's the entire point of really the whole story or biblical narrative is that you are not enough on your own. Christianity has never taught, be a good person, go to church, read a bunch of Bible, and then you can have a relationship with God. It's taught, you are a bad person, and so am I, and every person you've ever met, no matter how good they think they are, Christ alone, alone can cure you. Christ alone can cure us. And the whole point, it is no accident, in other words, that right after finishing a sermon whose point is you on your own will never be enough. You need God. You can't get there. He walks down and the very first interaction that he has is with this man who is the living embodiment. It's brilliant. It's incredible. The living embodiment of sin. An incredible metaphor of what sin does in all of our life. And he walks down and he sees this leper and the leper does what all of us who become Christians do. Throws himself at the mercy of Jesus and on his knees says, God, you can make me clean. You can do what no one else can do. You're the cure. You alone can cure me. This is what Christianity has always taught. Christ alone can cure us. Christ alone can allow us to spend eternal life with God. And at the end of that message, he sees this man who is the perfect illustration of the point of the message, of the point of why Jesus had to come, of the point of why Jesus had to die because we could not on our own get there. About two months ago, I was out with my son, who's around five, and um, one thing that, you know, as any dad or parent or mom in the room knows, is just times of the day on the weekend when you're like, hey, you got to get some energy out, and mama needs some me time, so go take the kids. So one way that I'll do that is I'll take my kids, and we'll go out, and they get on their scooters, and I ride a longboard like I'm 14, and we race down hills, and... Uh, and I was out doing that. And when I raced my son, he gets to the point where like it becomes competitive. He's like, uh, oh, he wants to win and we're kind of racing and we'll race back and forth. And as a dad, dads all know, like there's times you're like, all right, you got this one. Good job, slugger. And then there's times where you're like, okay, time to put you back in your place. And uh, this was one of those. And we're racing and he was a little bit ahead of me and we're racing down this hill and I'm on the longboard and I'm like, all right, game time. Going and catching up to him, uh, telling him, all right, I'm about to win. And he begins to move in my direction as we're going, like he's a safety plan for the Cowboys or something. And at the last minute, cuts right into me. And my front wheel hits his back wheel and boom. And he didn't even flinch. He just kept going. <laughs> and I hit the ground. And it was one of those moments where the pain is so great, you're not even like, it doesn't lead you to tears. You're like, shocked. <laughs> you're like, oh, Oh, 
everybody back home and go home. My hand blows up like, like a latex glove blowing into it and it's just swollen. And the next day at church, I bump into a friend who's a doctor here and she was like, you should really get that looked at. And um, so leave service, go to a doc in the box and get an x-ray. Doctor comes out. She's like, oh yeah, you broke your fifth metacarpal. Um, you're going to need to go see an orthopedic surgeon. It's like, oh, are you sure? Can we just like tape it up and move on and, you know, it'll be great. Like, what are they going to do? It, it, bones heal, right? And no, she was like, no, the way that this bone is, dipla- is displaced, you're going to need surgery because it, it's broken in such a way that it won't heal correctly, that it's unable to. You need a surgeon to come in and put pins in there before you would put a cast on it in order for your hand to function. And if you don't, then there's a great likelihood that you're gonna have significant pain, it's gonna get worse, and eventually you're gonna have to have surgery anyways, and it's gonna bother you for the rest of your life. It's like, all right, touche, check, let's do the surgery. But it was a perfect example, really, of what Christians recognize, that we are unable to fix the brokenness that we have. The message of Christianity is that there's a God who's a divine surgeon who moves towards not just broken hands, but broken souls, hearts, people, and he can come in and put things back together. He can heal the places, the spots that are not on your skin, they're in your soul. He can conquer addictions. He can resurrect marriages. He can restore prodigals back to their parents. But on your own, you are unable and I am unable to do so. But there's a God who's there and he's not just there, he's, as we discover, willing. And what I wanna do is I wanna spend just the next few minutes that we have is just a wrap up by looking at what I think is perhaps the most astonishing part of the story. And looking at how and who the savior that we turn to with how he saves the man and who he is, because in it we see an indication of how he responds and moves towards not just physically sick people, but spiritually sick people, who God is. When you teach on stage, there's something that happens that you may never have thought of before, but it happens all the time to me, where people will come up and they'll say this, and they'll go, huh, you're not really what I expected. I never quite know what to do with that, but then they explain and they go, oh, you're, you're a lot taller than I thought. Happens all the time. People are like, oh, I thought you were like this. And, and, um, and the reason is, um, and, uh, because of six foot, that just feels weird saying, but the reason why people are like, hey, oh, I thought you were shorter, is because when like, Todd or JP is up here, they are freakishly tall people. I mean, like six, seven, six, five, like we are hiring the Nephilim around here. They're all over on South. <laughs> Then they come up and they're like, oh, you're taller than I thought. And that happens or this happens where the person, you know, will grab coffee and will sit down and they're like, oh, huh, it's not what I expected. I thought it'd be like, and in their head, they describe something almost like I would be giving them a sermon while we're getting coffee. Like I'm like, oh yeah, take a drink. So then I tell my son, oh, and Jesus, he's got you. And it's just like, nope, nope, just get a drink coffee. And sometimes it's better. Sometimes it's worse. It's just, hey, you're not what I expected. One of the things that I think tragically is the case for a lot of people is if they actually encounter Jesus, 
they would have a moment where they experienced, you're not what I expected. You're better. And I think for whatever reason, maybe it's the way you got a bad perception of what God is like through your home, your family, your church, your experience. It's just life. And I think in this story, all of us can see, oh man, whatever I expected, Jesus, you're better. And we can see it just, frankly, from how he heals this man. The third idea that I want to highlight is Christ's compassion towards us. And do it by, by looking at the compassion that he has towards this man. The Christ's compassion towards us. What moved Jesus, unlike the crowd who backed away, to move towards the man? Mark and his gospel, because this story is recorded in Matthew and in Mark and in Luke. In Mark chapter 1, it records the same story. And he tells us what moved Jesus. He says this, a man came with leprosy, knelt in front of Jesus, begging him to be healed. If you're willing, you can heal me. Moved by compassion. He stretched out his hand and he touched the man. What does Jesus feel towards physically sick people? Compassion. What does Jesus feel towards spiritually sick people? Compassion. If you've been running, or you feel like you have put yourself beyond the length of what, if God is there, what he thinks about you is disappointment, is anger, I just wish you would try a little harder. Do you know what God feels when you look in his direction? No matter how caught up in whatever it is, compassion. Compassion. I want you to look at what he does because he does something really interesting out of that move from compassion. He reaches out and he touches the man. In Leviticus chapter 5, it tells us that any person who touches a leper becomes unclean. It was against the law for the leper to be there, and it was also against the law for Jesus to touch him. Why would he touch him? How long had it been since he had had a person touch him? The Greek word there is hupto. It's, It's a word for seizing or hugging. How long had it been? Years? Months? Decade? We're told in Luke that this man was full of leprosy. It had been going on for a long time. Psychologists even teach or tell us having no physical contact, it does something to the brain. It like, it'll make a person go crazy because we were made of physical touch. And Jesus reaches out and he touches this man. Here's what I want to ask. Why? Well, Maybe you think, well, he had to in order to heal him. Nope. Why do I say that? Because the very next story, he heals a man with just a word. Look at, I don't mean like, oh, down the road. I mean, verse five. This story happens in one through four. Eight, chapter eight, verse five, which is right after four. (laughs) When a centurion came forward to Jesus appealing, my servant is lying at home. He's paralyzed, suffering terribly. Jesus said, I'll come heal him. The centurion, which is just a Roman soldier, said, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you underneath my roof. 
Say the word and he will be healed. And Jesus said, let it be done for you as you have believed. You didn't need to touch him to heal him. Why would he touch him? Because he wanted to. Because he loved him. He moved towards a man that everyone for as long as he had had leprosy moved back. But this is what our God does to those who are spiritually sick. He moves out and he reaches out. And I think with a smile on his face, shocking the crowds, touched him. Just because he wanted to. Just because he was moved by the thing that moves our God, compassion. My daughter was in my lap about a month ago at a t-ball game and we're watching my son and he's playing t-ball and she's sitting there and she's kind of being squirmy and you know if, if you've ever had a kid that's playing t-ball it's just it's the best it just is amazing you're sitting there you're filming everything because this is what you do in 2021 where your dad where you're like oh man and you're sitting there and you're filming it and he's up to the plate and you're like yeah you got him slugger and he's just missing the t <laughs> and you're like it's all right now you know what he's throwing you got it all right go get it and i'm just sitting there recording him and and um all of a sudden, as I'm holding her, she's about two and a half, I hear this, and then a shriek from a woman, oh no! And my daughter had begun to throw up all over my shoulder. And it wasn't just any throw up. Uh, this, this was probably the most shocking experience of throw up I've ever had, where you're like, you're only two feet tall. How did that much, and it just kept let the river flow and just go and go and go. I mean, whatever you're thinking, if you're thinking like, oh, you're just playing that up. No, it was shocking to the point where a total stranger came up and gave me his shirt. I'm not, I'm not kidding at all. It was like, you need this more than I do. And I tried to decline it and he was insistent. Take the shirt. <laughs> it was like, it was shocking. So I get her and I'm like, all right. No more t-ball game. We're going to go home. Our son go home with mom. And, uh, and I get her and I take her in the car. And she'd never thrown up before. She, so she, you could tell she's like, what is happening? She's clearly sick. And, and it, it kind of was heartbreaking because all the way home, um, I unbuckle her from her car seat because the car seat's kind of leaned back and she's still throwing up. And I take her home and I am holding her hand the whole way there. And I put her in the bath and try to clean her up. Do you know what was going through my head, if I'm being honest? Oh man, I do not want to get this sickness because it, one just doesn't look fun, let's be honest. And oh, is there a way, even when I'm like trying to change my shirt, I'm like, <gasps> and go under and uh, if I was honest, it just was, a, there's a self-protective instinct of like, I want to clean you, but also not get infected by you. Our God is not like that. He doesn't have a self-protective bone, if you will, in his body. He moves towards broken, sinful, sick people. The message of Christianity has always been not that you clean yourself up or you do, that you have a God, that the God who is there, he is moved by compassion. He comes to people who are covered in shame and covered in guilt and says, give me your shame. Give me the, the past abortion you never told anybody about. Give me the affair you have never been honest with your spouse that you had. Give me all the different brokenness in your life. Give it to me. I will take it and I'll take it on me and I will pay for it on the cross. This is our God. 
He has no self-protection willingness. He says, I will take it and I will even on the cross take on all the consequence or pain or judgment that you deserve. And I can cure you. I alone can cure you. Too many people have bought this notion of God out there who's distant. He's not full of compassion. He's full of angry or anger. He looks at them with anything but love that moves towards, just like a father is imperfect as an earthly father. I'm still going to care for my daughter. He's a father that comes in and he feels towards sinfully sick or spiritually sick people. Compassion. Give me whatever you're carrying. The sin that you're caught up in, I feel towards you compassion. And I can cure you. And I'm willing. If you'll bring that to me, if you're willing to decide something maybe you never have before, which is God, I, I recognize I am infected with a curse. And I can try to manage it on my own, but I'll never be good enough. I believe you can heal me. You can give me eternal life. You came to die for me. And I accept your death was payment for my sin on the cross. I believe that. And you are willing. And you're going to discover he is willing. Because that's who he is. I want to close in pointing out the curse of sin is what infects us. Christ alone can cure us and Christ's compassion moves him towards us. Highlighting just one more aspect of the story. Remember how it started? It says, Jesus came down the mountain. He came down the mountain. How fitting in a world that says, what every major world religion other than Christianity says, which is you need to earn your way up the mountain to God. You have not done enough to earn God's love. God is out there, he's disappointed, and unless your deeds are better than your bad deeds, your good deeds are better than your bad, or more than your bad, then you will never have a relationship with God. You will not get up the mountain. It's everywhere. There's a lot of Christians that think that's what Christianity teaches. And they bought a lie. The message of Christianity is our God comes down the mountain. Because he knows you and I could never reach, climb, get there on our own. But we don't have to because he's the God who comes down the mountain. He came down for you when he came on a cross. He gave his life. And this is the message we now take and go and share with everyone. There's a sickness that infects humanity. It's of the problems in our world are traced to that. It's called sin. But there's a cure. His name is Christ. And out of compassion, he comes down the mountain and touches just because he wants to. I don't know what you're walking through. But if you encounter God, you'll experience it's not what I expected. He's better. And you'll never be the same. Let me pray. Father, I thank you that you came down the mountain for sin-filled, broken people like me. And I pray for anyone in this room who's never trusted in you. Today would be their day. 
they would come like this man did to the end of himself. That there is no other option. There is no other way. There's no other person or one who can give us eternal life, who can restore all the brokenness in our life. And they'd encounter compassion. Or said another way, they'd encounter you. And they would trust in you. Would just the simple message of the gospel penetrate more deeply into parts and spaces of our hearts that need to be reminded? Start with me, God. Of how I am a leper. But my God is compassionate. He heals. He saves. And I get to now share and tell everyone I know about that. In Christ's name.